Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure, Take with, the adventure us. With, us. with us. With us. With us. With us. With us. And welcome, everyone, to the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Parallax Channel. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb, and we are going to do another installment in our series called Classical Studies 101. We are following the journey of the Odyssey, uh, from which that phrase comes as well, uh, of that uh, amazing journey a person might take. And uh, as always, if you would be so kind as to leave a lovely rating or some lovely comments on whatever podcast platform you are using to listen to us, it would be deeply appreciated. We'd love more people to join in and follow along on this wonderful trek. So without further ado, let us bring in the man who will guide the way through this chapter, chapter 10, the one, the only, Dr. Gary Stickle. Thank Thank you, Gary. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. So, Gary, we are at Chapter 10. Um, Why don't you give us a recap of the previous chapter and then jump right in? Well, the previous chapter was uh, about Odysseus relating to this King Alkenowus, you know, his journey up to the time he arrived on King Okinawa's island. And a major part of it was his encounter with the Cyclops, the one-eyed giant. Okinawa's was where uh, Odysseus had washed up on shore after being tossed about the waves, uh, and he is uh, taken, embraced by some lovely maidens, uh, specifically the princess. Well, by the daughter of the king, Nausicaa. Right. Right, the the princess, and uh, he finally has a place to lay his weary head, and now he's retelling his tales. So, yep. so now we're at chapter ten. So, what happens in chapter ten? Chapter ten relates three more of the landfalls of Odysseus, and uh, it has the sacred symbolic numbers embedded in it, as I'll discuss, because <clears throat> um, he goes to twelve places on his way home. <clears throat> And uh, number 12 is uh, in this chapter as well. Uh, Again, I'm going to be reading from uh, Robert Fagel's 1996 uh, translation of the Odyssey, which is very readable. He labels the chapter the witching queen of uh, Aea. And what is the name of that witching queen, Gary? Circe. Circe, of course. Let's get some applause for her. Our matron goddess. But actually, the chapter is, is uh, more than that. It has two other mm-hmm. places he landed on prior to meeting up with her. Ah, but what do those places matter? <clears throat> Just kidding. Come on. Yeah. Uh, so I actually didn't give, I should have given myself a rim shot. Hold on. There you go. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, anyhow, um, I'll uh, uh, start up the chapter. <clears throat> with Odysseus saying, quote, We reach the Aeolian island next, the home of Aeolus, Hippotas' son, 
beloved by the gods who never die. It was a great floating island. So in other words, it's a supernatural island because it floats. It's almost like it's a giant ship because he says, around it all, huge ramparts rise of indestructible bronze, but also sheer rock cliffs shoot up from sea to sky. The king had sired 12 children within his halls, six daughters and six sons in the lusty prime of youth. So get this, he goes on to, the, the king uh, uh, had incest, apparently approved of it, because he goes on to say, so he gave his daughters as wives to his six sons. How about that? Oh, good heavens. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, clearly a... Uh... But maybe well, maybe that was admissible in the Bronze Age. It's not admissible today, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's clearly a cultural uh, transmission that did not occur, and with good reason. But anyway, onward. So anyhow, uh, Odysseus goes to quote Elis's uh, splendid palace, and he says, "Elis uh, hosted me in, a, in one entire month, and he pressed me for news of Troy and so on." And then I begged him to send me on my way. He denied me nothing. He, now, this is what he did. This is another supernatural thing. <clears throat> he gave me a sack, a skin of a full-grown ox. And inside it, he binded the winds, because he was ruler of the winds, Aeolus, as uh, Zeus, who came to gods, <clears throat> granted him, you know. So Zeus made him master of the winds with the power to calm them down or rouse them as he pleased. So inside, he lashed the winds fast with a silver cord. So he tied the, the bag with a silver cord. But yet he set the west wind free to blow us home, to blow my squadron home. So Odysseus had 12 ships, another uh, sacred number of 12, you know. Right, right. And we've talked about the sacred number for the listener, uh, mm-hmm. listeners. We have um, an episode on the sacred symbolic number system as theorized by Gary, uh, and you can look for it in the earlier podcasts. And then here's another uh, sacred number. Nine whole days we sailed, nine nights nonstop. And on the 10th, another sacred number, uh, our own land hove into sight, meaning Ithaca, okay? But then as crews act up, but the crews began to mutter among themselves that I was hauling troves of gold and treasure in the bag. And uh, so one of them says, heaps of lovely plunder he hauls home from Troy while we went through slogging just as hard. We go home empty-handed. Now this Elis loads them up with treasure. Favoritism. Hurry, let's see what's, what loot is in the sack. So they foolishly opened the bag, and uh, and then Homer says, they loosed the sack and all the winds burst out. A sudden squall struck and swept us back to sea, far from our native land. And Odysseus, who apparently suffers from narcolepsy because he keeps sleeping all the time, was asleep during all this. And so Odysseus says, I woke up with a start. Squalls blasting our squadron back all the way back to Elis's island. <laughs> Very good. So he goes back to uh, Elis and his palace, 
And and he says, and Elah says, back again, Odysseus? Why, some blustering god attacked you? Surely we launched you well and sped you on your way to your own land and house. And so, um, but then he says, a mutinous crew undid me. That and cruel sleep. So I pleaded. And so, uh, but Elis wasn't going to be nice to Odysseus again or twice. And he says, away from my island, most cursed man alive. The gods despise you. So he reviews. Wow. There, that's, I mean, you know, throughout this piece, I mean, Odysseus, you know, he's a braggart. He can be a loud mouth, but he is beset by such cruel fate at times and just the cruelty of the gods. Yes. Uh, it's really astonishing to listen to. Uh, absolutely. <clears throat> so anyhow, uh, he has to sail on. And again, the number 12, in effect, because he says, we sailed on six whole days, we rode six nights nonstop. And on the seventh day, another sacred number, we raised the last Dragonian land, meaning an island. And so he said, we entered a fine harbor there with skyscraping cliffs. And he climbs up to uh, one of the cliffs, and then he, he spies a plume of smoke. So he knows there's uh, people there. And so uh, then they meet a girl who's drawing water, and she's the daughter of the king of the Lastragonians. The uh, race that inhabits, you know, the the island, um, and um, so then Odysseus and his crew uh, enter quote the sumptuous palace, and they find a woman huge as a mountain, who filled them with horror. Straight away she summoned antipathies from assembly her husband, so he's like the king, and. Um, so he's, he's like the Cyclops, and he snatches one of my men. He tore him apart for dinner. Uh, the other two sprang free and reached the ships, but the king let loose a howling through the town and brought tremendous Lysogronians swarming up. Giants. Down from the cliffs they flung great rocks a man could hardly hoist. Holes smashed to splinters. They speared the crewmen like fish whisked them home, and made them a grisly meal. They killed them off. And so, uh, anyhow, he, uh, Odysseus says he pulls the, the sword from my hip and hacks away the uh, rope that binds the ship to the shore so he can, uh, you know, sail off. And then he yells, put your backs into the oars, now roll or die to his men, you know. So these these giant creatures tend to really like human flesh. Yeah, they're they're uh, just like the cyclops, you know. You would think. I mean, it's it's you know again they're cannibals. They're cannibals, just like they're cannibals exactly because these are little humans that they're eating. It's not like they're eating, you know, some other species for those people who eat. So get this. uh, Yes. Anyway, the last Dragonians destroy eleven of Odysseus' ships. Only his flagship, Odysseus' ship, is. Uh, survives. That is a that's a huge 
tragic loss. Yeah. And that's that's 11 ships, 11 ships of men. So well, he says, my ship alone, but the rest went down in mass. Our squadron sank. You make it out of the Trojan War. You make it out of the battles. You make it through everything. And then some giants either eat you or crush you at sea. Exactly. So he's, so he sails on. He says, from there we sailed on, glad to escape our death, but sick at heart for our dear companions we had lost. And then next, he says, we reached the Ian Island next the home of Circe, the nymph with lovely mates, an awesome power too. And so uh, he's talking about, you know, that she's, she's quite a, a goddess. We always have to give her an applause and a shout out for our matron goddess. And she is quite a goddess. We did uh, uh, actually on our sister podcast, Make Matriarchy Great Again, Disrupting History. We did a review of Madeline Miller's book, Circe, which was right. uh, very, very well, wonderful book. So yeah. anyway, so now we are with Circe. We are with the magical goddess. We are with. Well, he's not the, quite with her yet. I mean. Uh, okay. So, in other words, he keeps climbing up to high places to see what's going on on these islands. So he does it again. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he says, I scaled a commanding crag, and scanning hard, I could just make out some smoke from Circe's halls. So then he uh, goes down to his men and on the ship, and he forms them into two groups. And uh, I don't know why, but he does. And two platoons, it's, it's translated. Uh, he commanded one, and then he had, uh, like his first mate, Eurylochus. It says Eurylochus uh, led the other. And then for some reason, he puts two lots inside a helmet to decide who's going to go up to Circe. I, I don't know why, but that's what he does. And he shakes the helmet and out pops Eurylochus's lot, so he sends him off first. Okay. It's like a bingo night at the uh, Knights of Columbus. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> something yeah. like that. Okay. And so then they 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 hike up to Circe's uh, palace. And it says, deep in a wooded glen, they came to Circe's palace, built of dressed stone. But around it were mountain wolves and lions roaming around the grounds. But she had bewitched them. She gave them magic drugs so they wouldn't attack them, my men. They just kept pawing us around, fawning, swishing their long tails, eager as hounds that fawn around their master. So they're acting like dogs, you know, greeting their master and not like the ferocious beasts are supposed to be, you know. And then he says, we could hear Circe inside, hear her beautiful singing, spellbinding voice. And she's at her great immortal loom, so she's weaving. So anyhow, um, uh, the sort of second in command under Eurylochus is a guy by the name of Polites. And so he calls out to her. You know, he says, goddess or woman, let's call out to her now. So they, they hailed her and so on. She opens her gleaming doors, and she invites them all in. But Eurylochus suspects something bad is going to happen. So he stays behind, okay? 
So she mixes a drink for them, stirred in her wicked drugs. And by the way, her drug was, uh, I think it was uh, called Nepenthe. Mm -hmm. It was. And so once once they drained the bowls, because Greeks had drinking bowls instead of cups. And uh, so once they drained the bowl she uh, had filled, she takes out her wand and strikes them. And she turns them all into pigs. And then she dries them into her pigsty. Now, in defense of our matron goddess, um, she had been, um, at least the, the, the story, the legend around it goes, is that she had been really abused by the men that would land on her island. So this was kind of her defense mechanism uh, to turn these guys into pigs to prevent them from being what we would call pigs in modern terms. So uh, Circe would use her magic in that way. But nonetheless, it would scare the living daylights out of anyone who saw it. Actually, I think it's kind of humorous because you can't look at pigs and not smile. They, they just make you smile, you know? Yeah, well, I guess. I guess that's one way. I think if you were with the other guys who turned into pigs, you might be a little bit nervous. That would oh, yeah. be my guess. Oh, yeah. If you were, you, yeah, if you were on the other side, maybe sure. And, and then she okay. relishes the fact she transformed them into pigs, and she throws them acorns. So Eurylochus uh, sees all of this, and he's he's just terrified. So he runs back to Odysseus' ship to tell the disaster. And um, so when Odysseus hears this, he he takes out his uh, silver-studded sword, according to Homer. And he slings on his bow as well. And he says, lead me back the same way you came. And then Eurylochus says, don't force me back there, Captain. Leave me here. You will never return yourself. Quick, quick, cut and run. You know, you translate that phrase, cut and run, you know. Right. And the rest of us stay here and we'll escape this fatal day. But I shot back, I mean, Odysseus, this is Odysseus talking. <clears throat> but I shot back, Eurylochus, stay here, eating, drinking, safe in the black ship. I must be off. Necessity drives me on. So he wants to go rescue his crew, okay? So it says, leaving my ship in shore, I headed in, uh, inlet. And uh, he clambering up through the glades and so on. Uh and I was nearing the halls of Circe's skilled in spells when all of a sudden he's, he's intercepted by Hermes. Now, Hermes is the messenger of the gods, and the ancient Romans called him Mercury. Right. We're, we're all familiar with his, with the image of it, at least anyway, right? The winged helmet, the wings. Yes. And, all, and then um, Homer specifies Hermes, god of, this, of the golden wand. And that one is called the caduceus. And uh, we use it today to represent the medical profession. It's, it's Right. The, it's a, do you know why that is? It, it's a staff entwined by two snakes. It has little wings at the top and a, and a ball at the top. Uh, why, did it get to, why did it get associated with medicine? Do you know? Oh, they thought it was associated, but it's not. It's oh, the, so it was a mistake. Okay. It's a okay. mistake. So it's a mistake. Because... Ah. Uh, Hermes wand didn't represent the medical profession, but the, the god of, uh, of uh, healing and medicine in the Greek pantheon 
had a single had a staff with a single snake wrapped around it. Got it. So it was and, a mis- and that okay. does represent the medical profession, or should not not the caduceus. So the wrong image has been passed down. Yeah, isn't that something? You know? Yeah, it's interesting. There, there's some uh, medical company uh, under vehicles. They have the right emblem. They have the single staff with one snake around. I forget what the name of the company. So anyhow, Hermes intercepts Odysseus, and he he said he grasps him by the hand. And he says, where are you going now, my unlucky friend? Uh, and and your men are all in there in Circe's palace, cooped up as uh, swine or pigs, you know. Uh, have you come to set them free? Well, I warn you, you won't get home yourself. I'll stay right there trapped with the rest. But wait, I can save you. Look, here is a potent drug. Take it to... Circe's halls, its power alone will shield you from her fatal day. So let me tell you, all the witch's subtle craft, she'll she'll make you a brew with drugs, but she'll be powerless to bewitch you if you use this magic herb. And then (laughs) uh, the fact that Odysseus has sex with goddesses and everything. So then Hermes goes on to say, uh, once you stop her, she'll cower in fear. You know, he, he's gonna, he tells him to take out his sword and threaten to uh, kill her. You know, you can't kill a goddess, but anyhow. Of course, yeah. She's going to be afraid. And uh, she'll cower in fear. You know, this is what Hermes is saying. And, and coax you into her bed. But don't refuse the goddess's bed. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, of course. Of course, yeah. in this very patriarchal system. Right. He said, he said once you lie there naked... And so on, uh, you know, keep your courage, you know. So then it says the Hermes hands over the magic herb. And he, he says, its root is black, its flower is white as milk, and the gods call it moly. So this is the origin of holy moly. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. I'm doing a book on holy molies, and I'm getting the title from that. And saying it derives from the Odyssey, but uh, you know we we say many holy molies today, like okey dokey, you know, mm-hmm. flim flam, uh, and you know, I, I got hundreds of these holy molies that we right. Use. No, there's there's plenty. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Hocus pocus. Okay. So um, so he gives him the moly, and then Hermes went his way. In other words, he flies back to Olympus and so on. So he, he goes to um, the doors of Circe's palace and he uh, calls out to her and she opens her gleaming doors and she invites me in and she leads him to a silver studded chair and so on. And in a golden bowl, she mixes him a potion for, uh, for him to drink. And then she slips in her drug, okay? But, uh, but he puts in the moly and it neutralizes her drug. So he drinks it, and then she uh, taps him with her wand, and she says, now off to the sty with you too. You can wallow with your friends. But then I drew my sharp sword and rushed her as if to run her through. She screamed, and then she drops down and hugs his knees and so on. 
with a flood of warm tears and a burst of winging words, Who are you? Where are you from? I'm wonderstruck. You drank my drugs, and yet you're not bewitched? Never has any other man withstood my potion, ever. You have a mind in you. No magic can enchant. You must be Odysseus, man of twists and turns. Hermes, the giant killer, god of the golden wand, always said you'd come. Homer bound from Troy, and comes Cheater's sword. Let's go to bed together. <laughs> so mount my bed and mix in with the magic work of love. We'll breed deep trust between us. No patriarchal subtext there. Of course no. not. No. All right. And uh, and then you know, Homer goes on to say, so she enticed. But I fought back. Circe, Circe, how dare you tell me to treat you with any warmth? You who turned my men into swine uh, in your house, and, and now you hold me here as well, teeming with tre treachery. So once I lie there naked, you'll unman me, strip away my courage. I don't know how she's going to unman him, but uh, that's what he's saying. Mount, mount your bed, not for all the world. Not until you consent to swear, goddess, a binding oath that you'll never plot some new intrigue against me, no harm against me. So then Homer says, straight away she began to swear the oath that I required, never to do me harm. When she had finished, then at last I mounted Circe's gorgeous bed. I bet he did. Exactly. It's, uh, yeah, it's a true fantasy of, you know, Bronze Age guy. So, yeah, for sure. And then she has these handmaids that come, and they, she, they bring in chairs and uh, and silver tables and golden trays, and they bring in food and golden cups for drinking. But first he has to have a bath, remember? Right, right. So she has her handmaidens uh, give him a bath and afterwards rub him down with olive oil. Uh, and then, uh, and then it says, you know, Cersei pressed me to eat, but I had no taste for food. I just sat there. So, uh, and then he tells her, Cersei, how could any man in his right mind endure the taste of food and drink uh, before he's freed his, comment, his comrades in arms? So I demanded. Then Cersei strode through the halls, and with her wand, Flinging open the pens, drove forth my men. She anoints them one to one with the new magic oil. And they turn back again, younger than ever and taller than ever. So it wasn't a bad deal for them to become a pig, is what it sounds like. Uh, apparently, the way it turned out, you know? Yeah, it's pretty odd. Okay. Yeah. And um, so, anyhow... Um, she says, uh, Odysseus, tried and true. It's not a holy moly, by the way. Uh, and once go to your ship at the water's edge and haul her straight out of the shore and then come back here for food and stuff like that. So he, he goes and does that. He tells his men to haul the ship up on the, the shore. And then they go to uh, back to the magic halls of Circe, eating and drinking and so on. Um. Only Eurylochus tried to hold my shipmates back. Poor fools, where are you running now? You're tempting fate, and so on. You know? Um, and uh, 
But anyhow, he actually calls Odysseus a hothead. He said, uh, that hot-headed Odysseus, uh, thanks to this man's rashness, uh, all those other crewmen died. So he's blaming them for all the other deaths of his, you know, the 11 ships that uh, were destroyed by the Lacedragonians, okay? And um, and then get this Circe, uh, then bathes, uh, you know, his, his crewmen in the palace and has them rubbed down with oil as well. So they all get baths. Uh, at least the Bronze Age Greeks were hygienic, okay? Yeah, I was. I literally thought the same thing. I was like, they were very clean. Uh, that's been on my mind since you mentioned the bath again. They're, they're, you know, we think of different eras not being as cleanly as we are. Um, and but this clearly was an era where people were, you know, took care of their their being. So then uh, she wines and dines them and gets them, and and so. Um, Odysseus uh, says, so she enticed and won our battle-hardened spirits over. And there we sat at ease, day in and day out, till a year had run its course. So they stayed there a year. Mm-hmm. And then Homer says, but then when the year was through and the seasons wheeled by and the months waned and the long days came round again, meaning summer, my long comrades took me aside and prodded, Captain, this is madness, high time. We must get home at last, and so on. And so she goes up, he, he, one last time, he goes up to Cersei's luxurious bed, okay? And um, so he tells her basically what to do. And, um, and she tells him, royal son of Laertes, Odysseus, old campaigner, stay on no more in my house against your will. But first, another journey calls. You must travel down to the house of death, to the awesome one. Uh, the king of death and his queen Persephone. And there in the house of death, you must consult the ghost of Tiresias, the seer, meaning a prophet of Thebes, the great blind prophet. Persephone has given him wisdom and he will tell you how to get home. So that's basically how the uh, chapter ends. Well, Thank you, Gary. Thank you. So there is therein is another uh, a another episode uh, of the tale of Odysseus and his journey home. There's Odysseus winding his way back. Let us thank Dr. Gary Stickle for guiding us today. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. And I thank you all for listening. I'm Sean Marlon Newcomb. This is the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Parallax Channel. We're doing Classical Studies 101. This was the Odyssey, Chapter 10. Uh, We will be back again soon. God bless.